for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Last week we had a fun, very educational chat with Professor Gavin Woodall, a neuropharmacologist from Aston University, Birmingham, UK, and director for the Institute for Health and Neurodevelopment, whose absolute passion for epilepsy research you could hear in spades. This week, we are talking to Dr. Janine Winterbottom, an advanced nurse specialist in epilepsy at the Walton Centre NHS Foundation Trust in Liverpool, UK, all about her NIHR research into developing a preconception care pathway for women with epilepsy. In advance, for anyone who is taking anti-seizure medications during pregnancy or for anyone who finds themselves pregnant whilst taking them, it's really important for them to remain on treatment and continue taking their medications until they have had the opportunity to discuss things with their epilepsy specialist. Now, if you're new to this channel, do make sure that you subscribe and hit that bell for notifications. This is a weekly podcast slash video. Do not go anywhere. Stay with us. Dr. Janine Winterbottom, it's lovely to have you here. Janine, please tell us about yourself. So I'm an epilepsy nurse specialist. I started in the job as a sapphire nurse, which I probably still am. I uh, don't really use that title much, but from epilepsy actions point of view, without them to start with back in the 1990s, the job wouldn't have existed and I wouldn't be where I am now, um, you know, supporting mm -hmm. women. But yes, I'm an, uh, my title is an advanced uh, nurse specialist in epilepsy um, and I'm based at the Walton Centre in Liverpool. And so what does your role involve? I, or uh, do you know what I think perhaps I should use the plural term roles because you do so much. Well, I mean, only the same as other epilepsy nurses. I mean, I think every, every epilepsy nurse has to be uh, sort of like multi-skilled. And so we're nurse prescribers. And so it means independently, we can adjust patients' treatments and start treatments if, if, if needed, uh, which gives us the opportunity to work in uh, in a more independent fashion. Um, but we're, we work in a team. And so you know, my work at the Walton Centre is based uh, around a team of now, uh, you know, uh, over 10 uh, epilepsy specialist uh, consultant neurologists. Um, some will refer to themselves as epileptologists, others uh, neurologists with a special interest in epilepsy. But uh, along the way, we have those specialists to work with. And I have a team of epilepsy nurses who work with me now, which obviously when you start, I started the job on my own um, and then quickly uh, within a couple of years got joined by another epilepsy nurse. And then we've had nurses leave us and move up to different parts of the country as they do. Um, and then, um, you know, and, and obviously try to keep the, to, the team together, uh, even through COVID. <laughs> Yeah, the challenges. Yeah, I bet. And I totally, as a patient myself, I really appreciate epilepsy nurses so much. I know that not all of us, unfortunately, yet have access to the care from an epilepsy nurse. And well, you are totally like sorting that out for us and contributing to, you know, more people becoming involved, which is great because they're 
as wonderful as our neurologist or epileptologist might be, there's only a limited time, right, that we can spend with them. And often it's about drugs and not a lot else. And I think that's the bit about working as a team is that you are, if you see yourself as complementing you know, your neurology colleagues and they see you as contributing to that patient's uh, experience and the journey through the living with epilepsy. Um, and I think it's, it's, bringing, it's bringing the two together really as complementary. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think any of us can work in a silo of, uh, and, and I think that, that's often what happens in medicine is that it, it becomes quite, um, you know, you've got these silos of, of expertise and we have to spread out. So our model of care is, a, is classed as a hub and spoke. And so we are a specialist centre in the Northwest. And so we take in referrals from across the country um, as, as a tertiary referral centre, but we also have our own local people that come in and join, you know, into our service. Um, and as, you know, as epilepsy nurses, is we look at preconception counselling is my my area of, of sort of like special interest but we look at people from new diagnosis transition all the way up to living with it many years becoming refractory having surgery having vagal nerve stimulator um, you know and so that you know we look after people with learning disability right the way through so we have an inclusive review of patients so we don't only focus on individuals in one area or another we would look at them throughout the whole life and include everyone and every you know any ev anyone and everyone who has epilepsy um you know can come into our service are there adults that you're with or yeah. is it children too yeah i mean okay. i started off with working with children before i got the job at the walton center um but uh, i moved to work with adults because there wasn't a job at the time for working with um you know with children with epilepsy um i think bernie in birmingham uh, working with Pete Whitehouse, I think it is, uh, was the very, f the only paediatric nurse, and Anne Sweeney, I should say, uh, older Hay, were the only paediatric nurses that I, I knew of, and there were no sapphire nurses come, jobs coming in, in children's uh, uh, epilepsy at the time. So I'm talking about back in 1995 when I joined the Walton Centre. Um, you know, but before then I'd worked on the community working with children with disabilities uh, and you know, had a population in, that, in my caseload of young children and families working with uh, you know, young people with epilepsy. Uh, and that's really where my interest first started really. Could you just confirm for us, what is a Sapphire nurse, please? Yeah, so Sapphire was a scheme that was set up by the, well, back then it would have been uh, the British Epilepsy Association before they rebranded and renamed themselves. Uh, but it was set up there at a, as a, really as, a, as an anniversary of their own um, organisation, but also as they wanted really to look at how like a Macmillan nurse is so synonymous with cancer care. Um, you know, and anyone who says that that word knows immediately what that person is, um, and and they wanted somebody to almost a name to be representative of an epilepsy nurse. Now, I think the problems that we had when the scheme got going, I was the fifth in the in the UK uh, at the time, wow. so they don't, you know, they they'd only started, I think, earlier or later the last the previous year, uh, but at, at certainly ninety five, I, I started. Um, and then some of the nurses have moved on um, out of the jobs now. Others have stayed, like myself, <laughs> long, long standing. Um, 
But I think where the scheme went was that we were then working within the NHS. NHS had to pick up your contract. You know, it was it really jump started the job. So it was an opportunity for a trust to take on the support of an you know of an, a voluntary organisation who'd done all of that volunteer you know, funding to get the job up and running. And it come from a background of only having a really small number of epilepsy nurses funded directly by the trusts. You know, so Doncaster were the first to start it up. Sheffield, I think, followed. Um, and the first Sapphire nurse was placed in Hull. Um, I think it was Karen Evans, I think, was the very first nurse to come in at that point. I'm hopeless with names, so I might have got her name wrong. Hopefully not. Uh, but yes. Welcome to yeah. my world. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Why did you specialise in epilepsy? Um, why, what drew you to that? Because I know that obviously there are many different types of uh, specialist nursing. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was working on the community it, and I, I had families who, you know, from very small children who, you, uh, I mean, I think there was some absolutely gorgeous children and the families and so I remember one who started to have infantile spasms and it, it was just so devastating for the family and I did see from the point of view as you know I was a young mum myself at that point my my child was was growing up I mean I, I think I had my child when just before I went into my nursing career so I was working in the community at that point where I was seeing children who were either just younger than my son or older than my son and it meant it was so real in that as well going into people's homes you were with them uh, you were in their lives um, and so f some families that uh, you were visiting them every week or sometimes even multiple times a week when the children were going through really difficult times what got me at that point was I find this really interesting. I want to learn more about why these children are suffering in this way. I also saw the injustices um, and, you know, and the challenges they fought that were different than just children with disability or children with uh, intellectual disability. It was that extra, I mean, we use this word burden, don't we, with epilepsy so often. I, I think it's, you know, it's a difficult word to deal with, you know, but I think it does explain sometimes that extra that epilepsy adds to somebody's life that people can't see. And unless you are really there, you sometimes you just don't understand it. And I got that um, feeling really quite early on. And so my caseload as a community nurse began to add an extra child so we used to go to our intake meeting every Monday morning and we get the new children that were being brought you know that had either had a diagnosis or for some children even being born already with disabilities and so they were coming into our, our team as nurses we wouldn't tend to get so involved so early on but occasionally there were tiny babies that we get involved with and then you're working with the family and again you're expecting that you're going to work with them for quite a number of, uh, of years and that's what I'd spent my time doing and over that time I sort of went off to the National Epilepsy Society and did their nursing qualification that they were running at the time and just began to you know really you know, go around and, and spend some time um, and the job came up at the Walton Centre and it was at a point where I'd felt I'd maybe gone as far as I could do in the community and there was no hope my trust at the time was ever going to, or this is what they said, they were ever going to employ in us to work just with the field, you know, in epilepsy. And so it was like, okay, I've got a decision to make here. Um, you know, and so I, and the job came up at the Walton and to surprise me, they offered it me. Um, I know, you know, because I, I was working with children at the time, not adults. 
Um, and I, my specialty is also, my nursing career is also from learning disability, not in general medicine. And so I went away and then obviously I've got, you know, clinical masters and in, in, in general nursing and, and, you know, so got my expert, you know, my sort of like theoretical knowledge as well to look to, to support the job you know, the job that I'm doing now, but yes, it all, uh, it mushroomed from there, shall we say, because it got me working with Professor Chadwick uh, in Liverpool. And obviously he was an oracle of information around epilepsy, <laughs> um, you know, and he supported me in my learning and, you know, and he really, I suppose the rest is history, you could say really from that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you refer to him as an oracle, but I really do think the same can be said for yourself and other epilepsy nurses. And the quality neurologists, epileptologists that I've spoken to would say exactly the same thing. I think their roles are not made easier, but it's like an extra load, I think, that you take on. And it's just invaluable. Us lot with epilepsy and family shouldn't have to go, okay, that's a neurologist, um, see a ep um, epilepsy nurse and, oh, okay, who can help me with my mental health? Shall I ask for a referral to a neuropsychiatrist? All that stuff is so stressful and shouldn't be necessary. And I think that you've taken a real sort of like, taken some of that burden away from us, a, a significant amount. And like on, on behalf of all of us, I am so, so grateful. Um, so uh, yeah, I really want to yeah, hopefully I don't make you vomit, but thank Not you. Yet, yeah. <laughs> I can't take it on my own for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's but it. I mean, all, all of you guys. Yeah. yeah, we work as a team. We mm. work as a team within our trust yeah. and we work, you know, and I suppose epilepsy nurses across the country now take on slightly different roles dependent on the job that they're doing, the population that they're looking after. And I think that's, I suppose sure. it's that ability to be adaptive to who you're supporting. Um, and so, we, you know, we've got a, you know, a, a number of neurologists. So I I don't need to take on some of those roles necessarily in diagnosing, although I might question a diagnosis that's in front of me that's been made by somebody else. Oh. And so, you know, there, there are there are always that, that, that critical role that we can play for somebody. We can ask those questions that sometimes are a bit awkward. And so, you know, our patients might say to us, oh, I'm having this problem, or oh, I don't know whether I can ask, you know, is that the right thing that I should be asking the consultant? It's like, okay, I'll ask it, doesn't matter. Or, or I'll write to a GP and I'll say to a patient, don't worry, you, you, you know, if you can't get those words out yourself, because it's a bit of a problem. So as you said, mental health is quite a common one where we don't want to admit that we're not doing very well. And, and so we say, well, it's okay. I'll say it for you in my letter. I'll tell them that you're, you know, you're having problems and you can say, well, Janine told me to speak to you. Um, you know, and so it takes that little bit of read the letter and you'll know why Janine to, you know, told, told me to come and speak to you kind of thing. And, and if that is the easy, you know, the nicest way we can get somebody to, that extra support that we can't provide, then that's what we'll do really. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> oh, don't, you'll make me cry. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yes. <laughs> tell us about your study, your studies at the moment and your research and the focus of that and yeah, who you're reaching out to and what you're looking for regarding involvement. I mean, a project for mine, it's been over many, many years, it's been preconception counselling. So I first did my thesis looking at the experiences of women preparing for pregnancy. Uh, at the time, we did a search of the literature and, and, and we were talking before, weren't we, and saying that we hadn't really found much in the way of evidence for 
providing preconception care for women with epilepsy. So we've been working on why is that the case? And so there are some complexities, many interventions, shall we say. So like a drug, an anti-seizure medication is an intervention that we have that we might take and it helps us or it doesn't help us depending on how, how that works. And we can measure the outcomes of that. And that's what many studies uh, are looking at. Uh, you know, many of the drug trials look at outcomes of, the, of the, this one intervention. Preconception care is not a single intervention. So it's not something that we can take or have and, and oh, right, that's it. We're done and dusted. And, and so we're looking really at what is involved in preconception care? What is it, you know, what is it like to get it? What do we expect to receive? And then how do we try and deliver it? And what we've conceptualized, as it were, is a pathway of care. So women start on that as they start to menstruate, not, not thinking that women are immediately wanting babies. And women, we appreciate, plan them in different ways. They may not use the word planning. They may not even think about their life in that way of planning. And that's something to do with what we're now trying to understand, because how we offer support. For me, I might, my colleagues might say, well, Janine runs a preconception counselling clinic. When you want to have a baby, come and let us know and you can have an appointment or, or a couple of appointments with me. Um, but women don't always think of it that way. And we know that. And that's not because they're not doing what we're asking them to do. It's just that we don't always think of our lives in that way. And so planning doesn't always come natural to wanting a family. It comes in us in different ways. And for other women, they maybe not think about it in that way of, I need to come and speak to my neurologist or to come and speak to my epilepsy nurse because that's a bit, you know, it's not my head. That's a bit of another part of my body. They're not really bothered. And sometimes that's the message they get or it may just be that they have been told to come and have a chat with us. But again, life goes on. You know, none of us lead this life where we have just one thing that we're doing. We've got that juggling of lots and lots of balls and the ball of pregnancy, as it were, may not necessarily be in our thoughts and we, we're in, in pregnancy before we've even thought about it really for, for some And I think also, you know, even though it's about health and the health of a potential fetus child, it's, you know, pregnancy and what does one have to do to get pregnant? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. and people still have this issue, yeah, I think, a yeah. lot of the time talking about exactly. naughty things yeah. which well, naughty, yeah. but yeah. 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 No, sometimes we, you know, we, we, yeah, I mean, I ask direct questions about, you know, women and their relationships and sometimes it can get that feeling of, oh, sorry, am I being a little bit, you know, you know, but if you don't ask, you don't get to learn. And sometimes you, you're apologizing right. for asking a question, but it's sort of like, well, if I don't ask it, you know, we might have, might have not mentioned it, but it might be something that's important. And so I'm giving you the chance to have a chat about it if you want to um, and and obviously not everyone wants to and that's fine and and I think we you know that's part of the pathway that we're trying to learn now in the research is how do you introduce this along that that life with the condition because not everyone's thinking about a baby all of the time we know that yeah you know it, it's let's let you know, let's be realistic about what living with epilepsy is about and as well taking medicines as you'd mentioned having seizures having a poor memory you referenced before Tori. I was yeah. gonna I was gonna say that having a poor memory and like that can be an issue obviously for lots of people taking their anti-seizure meds yeah, but even yeah. things like the pill yeah, or yeah. you know and it's just 
if you just forget it that one time you yeah. could be a little bit pregnant yeah. and yeah. it can be yeah. unplanned so that's right yeah and i think it, what we look at as preconception counseling is actually now quite a bigger project than just the preparation because i think it's something that we need to have for women as that knowledge of really how what will the what will happen to me if i do have a pregnancy so it's almost like that not preconception counseling or more of what do i do if i if i found myself pregnant so that we're prepared no matter how and that's the whole point of it um really of the project that we're looking at um so it's inviting women with epilepsy, their family, their partner, their spouse, it could be, I've, I've already spoken to mums uh, of women with epilepsy and uh, you know, part, lots of partners um, as well as women themselves all telling me their different experiences and we're now moving into what's called the Delphi uh, which is a kind of research that works on agreement so it asks us to give our opinion on a whole what will be a whole list of options and we're saying whether we see it as being a higher priority than something else and those priorities we will then look at the differences of you know from women with epilepsy to their partners to family members to those who work in voluntary organizations to those health professionals that we want to take part in it as well and we'll crunch those all together and then ask people to really look at their vote again but compare it to how other people have seen that made a judgment on what's a priority and at the end of it, we bring a consensus, which is a final agreement, and we'll, we'll bring a group of people representative of all of those people taking part in a consensus meeting to finally put a, an agreement of what that pathway of care might look like, how the preconception interventions may be delivered and provided, what they might look like. And the final bit that we're working on, which won't be finished with this project, but it's beginning in this project, is how we measure the outcome. So we're looking to develop what's called a preconception uh, uh, patient reported outcome measure. And patient reported outcome measures are that way of us knowing that something's been delivered. And it's a way of benchmarking good practice. It, and it's a way of knowing whether you've maybe had everything that you should you really should have had so people think of patient reported outcome measures often on a surgical model you know so having a, a needle you know having knee surgery and you know, so some of the outcome might be quality of life which we might say well that one is that's going to be part of ours as well because you've got to have quality in having your child but from a from knee surgery you measure your outcome maybe by your ability to walk walk without mm. pain and so for, from a preconception counselling, that's where the outcomes are a bit, again, a bit more complicated because it's not just, say, about getting pregnant. It might not, not just be having a, a healthy baby at the end of it. There's lots of other factors as well. And it's beginning to understand what those factors are that we can then begin to test in developing what then will be our patient reported outcome measure. You've just given me a thought, as like, you know, speaking as a supposed woman <laughs> who's had to kind of go through, you know, at least some of this. Um, I think a huge thing for at least some people affected is that if you have management of your fertility or your likelihood of getting pregnant, should I say, that gives you confidence, man. Because a huge thing that loads of us struggle with is confidence when you've got epilepsy for multiple reasons, right? Um, and so at least to think, okay, I've been able to select my 
potential outcome when it comes to pregnancy and I was going to say child rearing gosh that sounds almost like it's related to agriculture but um, yes. you know what I mean and that that is great for your confidence and and then I think that contributes really just to your what to your mental health and your overall sense of well-being something which people I think will just think is about you know getting a bit pregnant it's actually mm -hmm. a whole lot more than that and yeah. it enables you to plan your life a bit better too yeah I mean and I think you know outside of the research obviously I do I do offer preconception care you know currently now myself and so I've been measuring my own outcomes as well as as obviously hoping that people would apply it to, to their practices but what you know what we know when we're offering preconception care and many organizations do this but maybe not enough and what we you know what we can understand is that there's a real variety of service across the country and, and it is about building up those opportunities but preparing for pregnancy and as you said preparing for that future life as a woman whether you're a teenager just growing up and beginning to think maybe in the future I might do I'm not really sure I don't know really if I do or I don't want a family which is okay because you're not no different than many other young women as well as young lads you know it's about saying you Thank can grow you. up yep. and you can make these decisions as you go but what's a priority for everyone with epilepsy is we want the best care possible for you we want your best seizure control because any outcome in pregnancy is always improved if we have a woman with the best possible seizure control and ideally controlled meaning no seizures but if that's not possible it's about getting the best that's possible for that woman and that's balanced about using the safest medicine that's possible and so again you're looking at what are the what are the medicines that we know the most about that a woman might feel confident to take into those years in her future but it's also trying to make sure that when we make decisions very young in a woman's early life as, as, a, as that woman maturing into somebody who might think about pregnancy in the future is that she's on a treatment she can have confidence is okay it's not going to need a lot of work but if it's not okay she knows that that might need some work in the future and that that work in the future is fine we shouldn't be frightened of it and we just now need to make sure that when she's not wanting a family she doesn't have one so we shouldn't be fearful of contraception we should see it as being part of life and part of our sexual health and so if we're in a relationship right. and we're not ready for a family it's it is about recognizing that and I think sometimes that's where like you said we shy away from those discussions and we shouldn't really we should be able to have that very open conversation about yeah I'm not really ready right now I don't really want to get pregnant or even I've made a decision I don't want to be pregnant and it might be a permanent decision or it might be certainly for now it might be a for now decision and what we need then is we need to firm up that that well look if you're in a sexual relationship let's at least make sure there's an accident there because if you're not ready whether it's you you just not ready or whether your medicine might mean there's a little bit that's not quite ready right. for you then at least we're not having to face that you almost like part of life where I never really was ready for this and look my medicine or look at this or I haven't really got a house or I haven't really got what I wanted for you know I wanted my life to be different or I wanted to go around the world before I did this you know all lots of different reasons that might be there in a woman's you know and and, and as we said you know, it, it's men and women together who are growing up with epilepsy but women have this extra challenge when it comes to wanting a baby where we have to think about it just a little bit more and that's the bit that we want to, women to come and speak to us about 
you know, feel comfortable and, and really no conversations off the table uh, because oh it, thank you, know, you so much for saying yeah, that because yeah. they could, I'm just thinking there could be other things involved like I don't yeah. know like somebody's got HIV or somebody's got hepatitis or I don't know or there could be familial pressure like um, I was actually going to ask you what lengths are you going to to reach out to people from ethnic minorities for instance because if we look at research it just tends to be unfortunately the vast majority of people are Caucasian and it, we really want to give everybody this choice yeah. and this power. Yeah, no, thank you for that, because that has been a, a through the COVID pandemic and starting the research in December last year, we have relied heavily on social media for our population of women in the qualitative section of the study. And, and we have a need now to really ensure that the population of women taking part in, in this section of the study, which really is about agreeing what's important. So what really will be there in those final you know, parts of the study, um, we want that representation. And so we're looking to try and reach out to women. And so I'd say anyone who listens to this, who knows of women who are of the, uh, you know, of that variety of experience. And so it's experience both socially as well as uh, you know with ethnic minority religious diversity I think you know it is looking at uh, you know all diversity as our population is and you know yes we, we are trying to reach out and so we're looking to uh, involve other uh, NHS sites uh, to identify those patients for us um, so we had a few sites involved very early on collaborating with us in the qualitative uh, uh, research but we're now spreading that wider because we've recognised that we need a lot more help to really get that in diversity and to make sure that you know we, we it's a UK-wide study so everyone across the UK have that ability to say they've been able to take part and you know they feel strongly um, and a woman who's got experience is an expert of her own experience and that's what we see as our expertise from a patient population um, and so we want any every and any woman who wants to feel that they, they can contribute and feels that they'd like to take part to just get in contact with us yeah and I, w I would also personally say if you are not a woman listening but you know a couple who could benefit from this or become empowered from this by contributing by giving their side and then please introduce them to this we'll have the links to everything below the video or below the podcast um because i think sometimes well actually a lot of the time things are word of mouth right and um, a lot of the time, no matter the way that we're talking, people can be very nervous to talk about certain things like this, you know, especially pregnancy, sex. Yeah. Um, so if you just know anybody um, who you think could be interested in this, because this is a pretty, these are pretty cool studies anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think they should be of interest to everyone, whether you're planning on breeding or whether you have epilepsy or not. Yeah. It's actually yeah. really interesting. I think the targets really of, of improving your life, you know, improving seizure control, having the best drug that suits you, uh, that might have the yeah. fewest side effects. If that comes around in your life for having a family, then that's the bonus of it. But if it's not, you know, we haven't got you on the safest medicine and the best medicine for you might be our most risky medicine like valparate then mm. we have to be really honest we have to be very clear mm -hmm. and it isn't about saying for that woman well that's it now you can never have these opportunities but we are having to be honest about saying this now will be a challenge we have to think about this in a very different way and it does require a lot more preparation 
but it is about allowing us to to do that really and if we work you know if we work together you the you know, woman working with me as a professional trying to assist her in her in her future life for family um then you know we're, it's a team approach and you know and, and, and as we say it's, you know it's come and have a chat with us and don't be frightened to ask us questions because if we don't ask them we worry about them and worry is never a good thing either uh, either for our mental health or even maybe our epilepsy and so you know having things no maybe you, about yeah, it <laughs> yeah you know and so it, you know it is you know it's, so it's better to just come out and, and ask it um, you know and I, I would hope that you know we can have that feeling of you know you know as an epilepsy nurse you know, and as your doctor looking after you, whoever that person is that you see as your person to go and talk to about your epilepsy, that you can go and have that conversation with them. Um, you know, and I, and I know my colleagues across the country would, would want to see themselves in that way. If a person does not feel comfortable for whatever reason speaking to their neurologist or their current epilepsy nurse, um, is there a way that they could contact you? or one of your colleagues that isn't going to freak them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, epilepsy, um, your know, society and epilepsy action have all got links into their voluntary organisation, you know, and to their support. You know, so they've got helplines. They'll often put people in contact with their facility for them to make contact with other people in that region. So often we'll find that the local uh, organisations know of that person who's perhaps the right person for you to go and have a, have a chat with. So if you really are a little bit lost and don't quite know really who the right person is to go and talk to, I'd probably say get in contact with your local epilepsy organisation. They're really in a key place and especially the local support groups, they can feel a little bit intimidating sometimes to go to they are for me even going having a chat with those people going to <laughs> those groups but yes you know but I think go in and have a chat again you know people are not going to think any anything different if you go and say look you know, do, do you guys have an epilepsy nurse that you go and speak to oh you do where are they based how can I contact them how do I get a referral into them um, they're people who are there doing it having that support um and the but the organizations can help you out as well and so they'll often say oh within your region this is you know these are the three hospitals that have epilepsy nurses or this is the one hospital um and you can then ask your doctor to refer you there if that what was needed but some gps have open access into the epilepsy services in different regions and so it is looking at what your own gp knows about the service uh, and sometimes we can be surprised um you know we we can think that they don't know they keep telling me oh i should go and see a specialist well if they say that maybe that's what you need to do because if you've not had the chance to see a specialist, sometimes we can surprise ourselves and they're there helping us out and giving us extra links maybe into seeing an epilepsy nurse. So I think it start with you know, what you've got, what you know about and maybe go and then exploring a few other options through the voluntary organisations and, and then see what other people say. Let's end with one sort of cool fact about you as an epilepsy nurse and <laughs> <laughs> yeah and what is giving you hope for the future for people affected by epilepsy and affected i mean people with the diagnosis families and society no pressure <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> heavens yeah i mean i think what we've got to hope is that you know we can understand where now we are you know beginning to widen our services service meaning in the areas of what we know 
perhaps will help people the most and we're developing you know there's new drug therapies there's new ways of working and like for me I'm not inventing a, a new wheel as it were preconception counseling's been around a lot of years what we're trying to do is make sure that it is it is more available for women across the country uh, and across the whole of the UK and that there's a standard there so I would hope that the work we're doing will mean that more women can get access to the support they need as they're moving through their lives and I think we can see that having ripple effects onto other areas of our support and there's always work you know, my colleagues as epilepsy nurses are doing lots of interesting research across the country um, and I think you know there's lots of research at basic science level um, and there's lots of lots of work being done for epilepsy and I think you know we've got to think that this has got to filter down uh, through into uh, the world that we live in uh, and hopefully make those differences to people's lives um, you know but I'd, I'd you know hope that we can keep that focus of you know reducing seizures and the burden that they have on people's lives uh, and I think that's that should always be a paramount um, in all our work yeah. Janine's project is funded by the National Institute for Health Research NIHR under its Research for Patient Benefit Programme grant reference number NIHR 200791 and the views expressed are those of the author and not necessarily those of the NIHR or the Department of Health and Social Care. Next week, I shall be chatting to Mona Highland, a final year PhD student at RCSI Ireland, whose project focuses on determining the effects of cannabinoids on microRNA expression in epilepsy. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook, and we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Do subscribe to our podcast and know that we are always trying to improve what we are doing here for the programme. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>